Hey everyone, today's video is going to be sponsored by Bradulist, Michael Shy, John Jex, Justin Maybe, David Madison, and everyone on Patreon. So I want to thank everybody for that. And this is our first non-live QA. Now, some of you guys know I'm going to Germany and I'll be in Germany for a little over a week for GitCon. And GitCon is the first ever uh, event that is 20 or so YouTubers in the guitar community uh, basically hanging out for the week, collaborating with videos and collaborating not only with other uh, YouTubers, each other, but collaborating with companies to uh, review certain products. So there'll be companies like Marshall, Hughes & Kettner, um, Schechter, PRS, Joyo, um, Vox, uh, Two Notes, I'm trying to think of doing off off memory. Um, there's a uh, um, Rev amps, uh, coffee cabinets, a ton of companies. So you will get to spend some time with the product and, uh, and, and do some research and check it out. So that's what's going to be happening. We'll see how that all goes. I'm hi highly optimistic. I think it'll be good. And uh, so in the meantime, we're doing this non-live QA. Now, what we're doing is very unscripted. This will be one hour long and it will be involve all of the questions that I have in my email box. Uh, currently, there's a little over 25,000 emails in that email box. Um, now, they're not all unanswered. Um, most of them are answered. So we'll just go to the obviously unanswered ones. So let's get, get right into it, shall we? Um, the first one comes from James. And James is saying, hey, I'm thinking about purchasing my first tube amp. I like to play rock. Should I go for a combo ahead or a combo or a head and cabinet? Is there a big difference? Well, James, what's interesting is I think there is a difference. Um, I like combos. They're great because it's a one shop, you know, one stop shop. You get the amp, you just go, you do your thing. It's it's fantastic. However, majority of my amps are heads, and the reason is is because I like to take for home use low wattage amplifiers. Let's say like the Mark 525 or the LBX, and run them through larger cabinets. And the reason is is because when you turn those amps down. Uh, bigger cabinets will still generate a lot of low end frequency and it's just it makes the quieter playing sound a little bigger which is nice and also when playing live I think sometimes you can give the illusion of an amp sounding louder and fuller without having to turn it up so much if you're using a bigger cabinet so for instance use like a 20 watt amplifier through a 212 cabinet I really think companies should look at this option I think this is a really good idea I think a lot of times like using the supersonic 22 is a good example they make a 22 watt amplifier a 112 combo but in the head which is the same as the combo you can buy a 212 cabinet um, and if you have the combo you can also run almost all the combos so you know you can do this but this combo specifically you can do this you can bypass that internal speaker and run the external cabinet or run them both so you have still those options but what's nice is to take the head run it through a cabinet and get even a bigger sound if I was to compare the 22 uh, supersonic 22 I had right there you can see at the bottom there's my 212 cabinet and head downstairs I have the 112 combo same amp massively different sound uh, with hearing that cabinet um, so it's not I'm not saying you should do a head and cabinet what I'm saying is I'm giving you the advantages there's nothing wrong with combos but sometimes having a head uh, and another thing is too you can mismatch cabinets so sometimes when you have a combo you have that one speaker that one sound and it's nice if you're recording if you have a, you know, your vintage 30 is too fizzy, you have another cabinet with maybe an eminence in there or a, um, you know, a Jensen, and you can switch things around. Now, again, like I said, a lot of combos are the same versions of the head, so the output can be changed uh, by plugging in external cabinets. But 
yeah, it's a really cool, it's a cool thing. But I prefer heads and cabinets overall. Um, or I wish they would make combos that, you know, had lower wattage but bigger cabinets. Okay, this next question is from Connor. It's a long one, so I'm going to get to it. He's uh, 19 years old. He's uh, he's he's own. He's owned an Epiphone SG model that probably somewhere around 10 years now. Okay, so he started playing when he was nine, it looks like. Um, as well as he has a Line 6 Spider 3 15 watt amplifier. Very, very, very normal, basic, uh, entry-level stuff, right? An, an Epiphone through a Line 6 amp. It's, it's how a lot of people start out. Um, I never really considered getting a new guitar until I was researching wah pedals. And the more I researched, uh, the more it became very clear to me uh, that in the past... Wait the more it became very clear to me that I need to upgrade. <laughs> so uh, first, I'm going to stop right there. That is that is also not something I'm sure he's asking the question right there. He's not asking that question, but I want to talk about that. That is very normal, isn't it? Uh, I do that. You guys probably do that too. You're researching something else, and it leads you down a different rabbit hole. Um, you know, you're looking up a new overdrive box, and the next thing you know, I go, I need a new cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you end up not buying that overdrive box. So I understand that. So I'm just relating to to you as in other words, is I want to let you know that I totally relate to the idea, Connor, of looking for a wah pedal and then all of a sudden deciding that based on what you see, maybe you need a new guitar. So he's strongly considering trading in his Epiphone his and his Epiphone Acoustic AJ model, his Line 6, and a very small Fender Twin Amp uh, to his local Samash uh, for 250 bucks. So I'm assuming you're, you're saying that they're going to give you $250 in trade. I really like the Fender st uh, Standard Stratocaster HHS okay, and with a maple neck for $600. My question is, what kind of amp should I be looking at to pair with this for this desired guitar? The value and versatility... Wait, I value versatility and tone sound above all. As I like everything from Clapton to Dire Straits to Metallica and Iron Maiden, I'm looking to stay in the neighborhood of $500 total after trading in my guitars and amps. So in other words, your budget is $750. This is a very easy question, uh, Connor. Um, but you're, 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 you're looking at a $600 guitar. You have a budget of $750. So in other words, you can spend $150 for an amplifier. So there's two things you have to look at. One, sticking to that plan, or uh, two, looking at maybe getting a used Stratocaster. You know, used one will get you down in that $400 range and make that uh, $750 go a little farther, which is nice. Um, but if that's not the plan, I understand that as well. Amps, so what I'll give you is some, some scenarios that I know that will fit your situation. First of all, being at Sam Ash. Um, for $150, I would look at uh, looking at used amps for sure. And based on your budget needs, you're going to be looking at Fender Mustang and you're going to be looking at the PV Viper series. And um, you have a Line 6. If you like your Line 6 and you're happy with that, maybe go look at the new Line 6 models. I prefer, as you can see behind me, I have a Fender Mustang, the Fender Mustang or the Roll, uh, the Boss Katana over that. The Boss Katana um, and the, uh, the Fender amps are in the $200 range. So it might be pushing your budget a little harder. But, um, you know, something to look at. I have the 75. I believe that is $300. So you'd be looking at the Mustang 2. I think the Mustang 2 is kind of limited for what it is. Um, considering for $100 more, you can get that amp. In your situation, though, it's double your money. You're going from 150 to 300 So you're really, really constricted to what you can use. I, I really highly suggest that when you're there, try some used amps out and buy the best 
amp you can for $150. Your budget is really tough. Or really, you need to get to $300. That's where a lot of amps new will open up. Like I said, I think the Mustang 3, I think the Viper series, there's a ton of other amps that are in that $300 range that are really nice. So something to consider. That's what I would do. And all those amps are versatile. I like my Mustang 3. And I like the Katana as well. Um, I have a Viper amp. I've never, I want to say never played it. Uh, I just really haven't played it very much. It's it's downstairs. It's actually in the. I have a storage area. It's in the storage area, and I've to- tell myself every month I'm gonna open it up and look at it and figure it out. Um, and I just I got it to do a review, a comparison of some modeling amps, and I just never had the time to. You know, I, actually I'll back that up. I started messing with it a little bit, and then I just got distracted. Uh, you know, it just. I thought the, for me personally, I thought the Mustang was a faster, easier amp to comprehend and get into and get going. So Christopher's got a question. It says, hey, I just want to tell you uh, that I very much enjoy your reviews on YouTube. I appreciate that. Thank you, Christopher. I feel that you do a great job explaining the information that you're talking about. I am new to trying and uh, learn how to play and work on guitars. So I, so I can't heavily, so I count heavily on a lot of the information from YouTube. Some great stuff, and well, the other stuff is is out there. <laughs> it's good. Okay, uh, I just turned fifty last May, and I decided I want to learn guitar. The question that I have for you is, what kind of direction should I go to learn to play? I work super crazy hours. I'm on call twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five with the with the railroad, and I am a visual learner. I've tried to take some lessons, but with my work schedule, that's almost impossible. So can you give me some good advice on a route to go? Um, I do have great respect for your opinion. I appreciate that, Chris, a whole lot. And I definitely empathize uh, for your situation because I think that is probably one of the most relatable situations uh, you can possibly have, which is no time. <laughs> That's it's just huge. So I did a video about this and I talked about uh, if you can't get a teacher, you have to learn to teach yourself. Okay, so so look for that in the catalog. That will help a little bit. Um, but I'll, I'll give you a synopsis and I'll add some to it right now. So learning, if you're with your issue, you got to understand, be realistic. Okay, a lot of times I think everybody's so eager to go 110 miles an hour. In other words, you know, I want to go to lessons every week. And, and oh, and I can't do that. So because you can't do that, you don't do it at all. In other words, 110 miles an hour or park the car. And yet there's other options. There's other options. You can drive 20 miles an hour. So in other words, what I'm trying to get at is um, don't feel bad that you can't meet a schedule. Um, Also, you know, sometimes don't look at value the way sometimes we traditionally look at value. Let me give you an example of that. So let's say a teacher wants $25 a lesson and that's $100 a month and you get four lessons. Okay. But you can't commit to that. Or worse, you commit to that and you can't make them so you lose out. Either way, you feel like, oh, that's money lost. Now, I always say, well, do you ask the teacher how much to do ad hoc? In other words, how much to just say, hey, if I contact you and I have time next Thursday, can you make a lesson? And and a lot of teachers will tell you this silly, stupid answer. Uh, I know because I've, you know, I've had many teachers work for me. Uh, no, I, oh, it's all or nothing. And I always tell people that's never an answer. They just say that because they don't put any thought into it. What I tell people is, throw a scenario. If I pay you $30 for a lesson or $35 for a lesson, will you do it ad hoc? In other words, you know, if I call you and you have time, can we do it? 
And a lot of times, what most teachers, if they're smart, <laughs> they, they'll go, yeah, why not? What you're asking them is, hey, if I contact you, if I reach out in today's modern age of texting and emailing, if I don't even have to call you, if I email you and say, hey, do you have an opportunity for a lesson next Thursday when I have some time off of work? I just got my schedule. Can we do a half hour session or an hour session? And um, that's the best way with your schedule. And I think that's the most effective way. And the reason is, is this. I really think that when you're a child, when you're a kid and you start guitar, structure is important because structure is important for every child. So going to a ritual, like in other words, a weekly habit every week and having a habit of practice every week, those are good fundamentals for kids and why not? And not all kids are going to react to that the same, but it's a good thing to suggest. Adults, you don't need that you, you don't need structure you don't need you know this uh you know, this is something you're doing because you enjoy this and if you enjoy this you want to do it so my point is um don't worry about that you don't need a, a you don't need an instructor you don't need a a, a a teacher to to just teach you stuff you need a tutor is what you need I tell everybody, that's what really everybody should start looking at. Guitar tutoring. You can learn stuff online. So like you said, you're a visual person. Learn some stuff online. I, I always tell people, go, you know, have you tried learning a lesson on YouTube? And a lot of people tell me, oh, YouTube is amazing. I, I learned so much on YouTube. And then sometimes they say, well, I started learning on YouTube and I got, you know, kind of everywhere and it kind of got lost. And I would say, well, have you ever thought about when you're watching a video, because this has happened to me. And I've done this, so this is from experience. Uh, watching a video, and I'm just lost, stuck, and I can't move forward. I I just write down where I'm stuck on the video, and then schedule a a lesson, a tutor session with somebody that I trust. And then on their laptop or my phone or whatever, we pull it up, and I go, "Look, this is what I'm learning. I, I'm I'm lost. Get me through this." And a lot of times, no, actually every time it's worked out, they're like, oh yeah, this is what's wrong. And they slow it down or they change the, the way it's learned. Or I've had this actual experience where they told me, don't learn this. This guy is not right. And that was their opinion, but they were, you know, I feel, I feel confident with what they told me and I went with it and it was good. So in other words, be open to different ways to learn. If you're a visual learner, then obviously videos and one-on-one instruction is going to be great. But I, like I said, look at one-on-one -on -one instruction as not an alternative to videos, as as a uh, and videos. You know, right? I don't know why I'm trying. Uh, I'm lost with that statement. But instead of an alternative, like I said, it's an addition to. So uh, that's what I recommend to you. And I hope that works out. I hope that's advice. And let me know if you can't find an instructor that will do uh, like an ad hoc type lesson. I'm always interested in that um, because. I understand some teachers are busy. I have teachers uh, that have worked for me for many years. They're so busy, they just couldn't do that. I understand that, right? They're, they're, they're busy. But a lot of instructors, you know, plus also keep in mind, lessons are seasonal. So a lot of instructors thin out during the summer and Christmas. So um, although those are busy times for a lot of people, if you know that, now you know that, that summertime and the, and the holiday season will be a little tighter for instructors, they're going to be more willing to do those ad hoc type things. So uh, it's a win-win. So keep that in mind. Okay, let's go to another question. We got Kevin here. 
Kevin says, Kevin, Phil, I'm looking for a chorus pedal. What pedal is your favorite? Question mark. Also, as much as you and I lo- both love the acid reflux, okay, because I love it too, I'm sure, you, uh, by Taurus Pedals, uh, what do you think about the uh, the Wounded Soul chorus? That's uh, Taurus's Wounded Soul chorus pedal. I have not heard or played it. I uh, was wondering if you had. Thanks so much for your time and videos. Um, my buddy Nathan's got the Wounded Soul chorus pedal. I think he was one of the first or not the, you know, one of the first or first people to own it. I'm not a huge chorus pedal fan. I, I use it sparingly, although I like it. Um, to me, I think it's a cool way to get that Eric Clapton kind of sound. I think a lot of people figured that about him. Um, but I use the Boss chorus pedal. I've, and I have an MXR micro chorus, which has one knob. And I really like that pedal. But for some reason, I always go back to the Boss chorus pedal. And I think it's because as some people look at Boss... Uh, or and, and and they look at all these new boutique pedals as being so fancy and so great. I look at the Boss pedals as being one of those kind of they were there when it was happening kind of things, right? They were they were it's they were they were the right product at the right time. So it's a good product. I'm happy with it. I think I picked mine up for forty dollars. Um, I've never uh, never felt the need to buy any more other pedals. One of the deals with chorus pedals for me is, especially in the boutique realm, you don't find this so much in the uh, inexpensive world, but in the boutique world, a lot of chorus pedals have this, uh, uh, they drive, they, they distort a little bit. And uh, that's something they do. And I'm not a big fan of that, And but some people are. And so, so I, another thing I have with boutique chorus pedals as an issue for me personally is it's... It's tough because it's they're so different than what I'm looking for. I'm really looking for a basic chorus. So I'm, I'm a boring, boring answer. Um, so to answer your question about the Wounded Soul, um, I'm sure it's good because I think Russ makes good pedals. Nathan seems to like his. Uh, I listened to Nathan when he was playing it, although I wasn't very interested because, A, I wasn't interested in a chorus pedal, and, B, I already had... Uh, my boss, and um, that's where I am. But I'm sure people are going to have great suggestions. Put those in the comments. You know, uh, let him know what kind of chorus pedals you've had great experiences with, or pedals you've tried to stay away from, um, and and see if that helps. And and I think other problem too I have is a lot of chorus pedals, a lot of chorus effects I got back in the day from Rack Gear. So there you go. Next we have. Chris. Now, Chris wants to know, hey, Mr. Phil, uh, I truly enjoy your channel on YouTube. I have gained a great knowledge over the years. I've got a Stag Mini electric guitar. If you, for those of you who don't know, Stag is not Chili, the brand of Chili. It's a brand of guitars and trumpets and everything else. Uh, Stag with two Gs, S-T-A-G-G. Stag Mini electric guitar. He's saying it's similar to the Mini Strat, in other words, the Mini Squire guitar, but this has a functioning tremolo, uh, a whammy bar. So, uh, I can't get it to intonate on the low E string. Uh, I, I strum it open and it's in tune. Then I strum uh, then I strum it at the 12th fret and it's sharp. I've moved the string length up and down and it won't stay. Any suggestions? Yes. First thing, you're saying the word strum and that's the first concern I have uh, for for uh, this question. So I don't have a guitar next to me, so I'll use my bass and I'm hoping I can do this. Um, when you're intonating a guitar, there's a couple things you want to do. First of all, you want to hit like, let's say a, you're going to hit a open. Okay. So, uh, and then use your tuner. So a should give you direct a, and then when you do the 12th fret, you have to hit the harmonic. So you're going to want to hit the harmonic to that note. Now, there's a reason for that, and I'm going to explain it in a second. So, for instance, like on this, on the G, if it was open G, and then 
there's the harmonic. Now, the reason we hit the harmonic to see where the intonation is, is because technically, I'm going to use this bass again. Technically, when I bend up, I'll use here. When I bend up or I bend down, down, up, it's the same, right? Sonically with our ear. We can't hear the difference. So if I bend up half step or I bend down half step, it's the same. So technically, when you have action and you push down, so in other words, if your strings are a little high and you push down, when you push down, that note will also go half step sharp. So what happens when you're playing chords down or up high, sometimes it goes sharp. And that's what you may be noticing, especially if you're strumming things, uh, that you're getting a, a sharp tone. So in other words, your A is A and then your A is A sharp when you're doing 12 fret. So hit the harmonic first. That's the first suggestion uh, to kind of help that. Um, now, that should help a lot. Now, keep in mind, small guitars are very hard to intonate because they're like a weird, they're like 23 and made upness scale. Um, so the other thing is with your low E, the first thing I do and Mike's what I've done with small uh, guitars, uh, three quarters kid size guitars, I always get out the measuring tape and measure the distance between the inseam of the nut and the saddle on the low E string. And what I want to do is I want to measure off of where the string breaks over the nut. So where the basically where the string is starting. And what I'm going to do is measure that and, and try to figure out what the scale length of the guitar is. And then you're going to measure to the center. So you want your 12th fret to be dead center of that. So uh, that makes a lot of sense, right? So, so first thing you do is you can look it up. It'll tell you. I'm doing off memory. It's 23 and like a quarter. 23 and a half inch scale length. Let's use a standard Fender Strat so we can keep, stay, stay, stay sane. That's 25 and a half inches. So what I would do is I would measure with measuring tape the inseam of the nut down to the low E saddle where the string breaks over the end, and I would measure exactly 25 and a half inches. I wouldn't even worry about what the tuner says. I don't even I, I don't even want to do that. When you're intonating and you're frustrated, I tell everybody just figure out what the scale of the guitar is: 24 and three quarters for a Les Paul, 25 and a half for a, pure, or a, a Fender, 25 even for a PRS. Measure that. Start with the low E string. If you want, measure all the saddles. Make them all flat. Okay, uh, that's the scale length, and then from there make your adjustments. You know, and, and obviously, you know, if you go backwards, you know, or forwards, you'll decide that with the tuner. But that's a good, relatively way, good way to start. And in your in your comment, you were talking about moving. You've moved the saddle back and forth, and you're just not hitting the spot. Well, there's some there's some more variables than just moving the saddle back and forth. Sometimes, as you move the saddle back, the string angle is going up. Right? So as you move it back, so think of it like, and I'm going to use uh, this screwdriver because it's the only thing I got that's got a straight angle. <laughs> okay. Um, so we're on the saddle. This is the saddle. This is the string. And the string is really kind of, you know, it's, it's bent at an angle and then it kind of bent, it's goes straight down, right? But it's still, it's still bent at an angle, right? Just a slight angle. And as you move this back, you can be changing just slightly how high that string is. And then when you're pushing down, that could also be changing it. So for, for that reference of that guitar, I would definitely just keep it simple and say, okay, let's figure out what the measurement is, make sure the saddle's measure, measured correctly. Let's make sure we're doing a harmonic on all the 12th, on all the notes in the 12th fret and start there. And then also pay attention to that action. If the action is too high, it's gonna be pulling it, pushing it sharp anyways. And a short guitar like that, it's gonna be extreme and, and really intense. So, so there you go with that as well. So, all right. They're, uh, it's kind of weird. I'm so used to all you guys being here with me and I'm all alone.
kind of feel sad. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. Let's find another one. Now, I didn't select these, pre-selected these, so I'm just kind of finding them by their titles. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, hopefully it's good. A lot of them have a long lead into them. The Okay, I'm going to go a little further back. So not all the ones are recent. Okay. All right. Uh, this is from Luke. Luke says, hey, Phil, I'm a fan of all your content. Thank you. I know normally we don't read all this stuff, but they, they kind of... Uh, all right. Um, here's the question. His question is about limited instruments. He's got a lot. Okay, the best description I found so far posted. I don't think this is a question. I think he's just telling me. Limited edition and limited run is a very hard to come by by the manufacturers not disclosing any. Okay, I got the question now. We're good. It's a little long, but it's good. I know. Okay, so here's what he's saying. I just put a deposit down on an Ibanez FR iron label guitar. I noticed after I ordered it that this model is sold as limited. In other words, he's saying this is a limited model. Not truly knowing what this means, I've been doing some research into it, and it turns out that the information on limited run or limited edition is very hard to come by with manufacturers not disclosing anything more than, yep, it's limited. The best description I found are the following, and then he's got all these descriptions. So um, he's wondering. I'm wondering if I can shed, if you can shed any light on the term "limited," what it truly means when a guitar, uh, when the guitar terms, when a, when it, when it, oh, in guitar terms, what does it truly mean? Okay, I hear people asking this question quite a lot, but I never heard a definitive answer. Yeah, we know what it means. It's uh, it's it's a bullpucky, right? It's junk. Uh, limited means nothing. Limited doesn't even... So think about this. Let's not talk about what a manufacturer says because there's no laws. That's more importantly in business. You know, when there's not a law regulating something, somebody stating something can actually just be just crazy talk. So so let's start with limited for a, simple, for a second. What if I told you that there's going to be a limited edition McKnight uh, Know Your Gear t-shirt and I'm only going to make 60,000 shirts? Now, keep in mind, I think it would take me, based on what I'm doing, 20 years to sell that. If not, I'll be dead before we sell 60,000 shirts. So, so why is that limited, right? It's not. So manufacturers use limited all kinds of crazy ways. Sometimes they say it's a, it's a definitive number. Uh, there is 100. And that doesn't tell you anything because unless you know what normal production rate is, that still doesn't tell you anything. So if they may, if let's say a company makes about 50 a year and they go, well, we're going to make 100. Well, then they probably want to make the 100. In fact, that is normal in our industry to claim that a product is limited and then it never hits that number they even promised. They never even get enough orders to sell the products that they, they've done. Now, sometimes they, they actually follow their own rules. They'll say a limited 100 run and they make it no matter what, even if they can't sell it and then they liquidate it. Now, there's another thing with limited times, right? So for a limited time, they take orders for a, a, a short time and then it's done. So uh, they'll say it's a limited run, but technically they could have sold well over a year's worth or two years worth or 10 years worth in that limited time because it was so exciting. So yeah, the term limited is silly. Um, it's really a term that gets used so much that it devalues what it even means. It, it Most of the time, it disgusts me as soon as I see it because I know in most cases it's not. And, and, my, and my ongoing theory is that a lot of times 
what they do is they they sit there and they go, okay, how many of these could we sell? There's they, they have they have stats and they go, how many if we make this in purple, and if we do it a certain way, how many can we sell? And they go, okay, I think we sell a thousand. And they go, great, we'll make twelve hundred. <laughs> they make more. They make. Mo- I think they constantly make more. Um, and the reason I think that is because what I see constantly in this industry is uh, guitars come out and they sell like hotcakes. They're fast, just one after another, bam, 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 bam. And then before the limited run is ever finished, there's tons of used ones in the market already competing with the first run. And 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 and, and, and we've all experienced it, right? You go to get it, it's sold out everywhere. It's sold out everywhere. It's sold out everywhere. Everybody on Reverb and eBay is asking $100, $200 over the cost or the, or the street price. And then three months later, the second order comes in of them. And this order is so big that it's just... You know, now all of a sudden they're on sale for the next eight months. So to answer your question, limited doesn't really mean anything. Um, the only thing you know is that uh, it, it means non-production, which means they don't have an intention to keep making them as, as a standard line. So uh, that's cool. One company that I think is really good at doing limited runs is Fender. I think they're one of the best at doing that stuff. Um, the FSR runs, Fender Special Runs. Um I don't think people really understand. I've seen them put out product lines, um, and I've seen them go both ways. I've seen them put out a product line that was limited to like 500 pieces, sell out in a minute, and then come out with another limited run of that same product and go, oh, yeah, no, no, no. It's, um, and I, I can't prove this, but I swear one time, because I, I, it was driving me crazy, I swear they told me once they were going to make guitars for up until like June. They go, it's limited run up to June. And then and they were doing great. And then June ends, and then they go, no, no, we were, we're, we're, we're taking orders up to June. We're going to keep making them. And so it was like June 20th because they called me. They go, do you want to order anymore? And I go, well, no, you, you said you're done. It's done in two days, right? And they go, no, no, we're just taking the orders up to the end of June. And so, yeah, I could be wrong, but I remember it f- feeling like nah, that's not what you said originally. You said you were going to make them up till June, and now you're saying you'll take orders and make them until, you know, you'll make them forever, but as long as the orders, uh, until the orders are fulfilled. Um, but Fender does this thing where a lot of times they'll make an FSR run of amps or guitars and they'll make two, 300 and they don't disclose how many, but it's usually a day or half a day's run. So it's not really a lot of product. It just, so it's pretty cool, but yeah, we've all kind of felt that. So put that in the comments too. If you guys had anytime you bought a limited guitar, tell me the both, tell me when you bought a limited guitar or limited pedal and you were like, wow. Right. And what a great idea. I got it before it was too late. And tell me if you've ever had the experience uh, where you got it. I've had that experience both. I've had it where I'm like, wow, I'm glad I got it. And I've also had experience where I bought limited and um, I bought it. And then, you know, everywhere after that was cheaper and no one wanted them, you know, because there was probably me and a hundred other people that wanted them and they made 500. So it happens. So there's, and they sound good, but they're really comfortable. Okay, so here's a question from Matthew. Matthew's, Matthew's got a long question. I've been into coil split options on guitars. Uh, I, I've been into the coil split options on guitars I used to perform. I used to perform. I think it's a separate comment. Uh, most of the set is clean. I'm using single coil tones through a compressor pedal, uh, but I prefer the saturation and tone from a humbucker uh, for the overdrive sounds. Ah, that makes total sense, right? You're going a lot of switching though, but okay. I'm wondering if there is a way to add a resistor or something to the circuit to get a 250K feel to the single coil while keeping the 500K with the humbucker. 
Right now, I'm just adjusting the knob on the guitar when I'm switching, which is which is working. I can also dial in the clean channel a little darker. This is a really interesting question um, because of the fact that you're right. The 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 if you have a um, so what he's getting at is this. So you have a humbucker and you pull the, the switch or you flip the switch or pull the knob and you coil split it. In other words, you go to single coil mode. But the problem is, is that your capacitor, your, 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 I'm sorry, your potentiometer, your, your volume knob and tone knobs are 500K, which are better suited for a humbucker. So when you go to single coil mode, you're getting a lot of high, harsh tones out of that single coil because um, what's nice about Fenders and te- you know Telecaster, Stratocasters, single coil pickups, is that the uh, single coils, um, you know, 250K adds some resistance and that resistance, uh, you know, kind of mellows those high frequencies out. So, um, you know, I have not seen, I'm sure there's got to be a circuit out there, but I have not done or seen one where I've seen where somebody coil splits and then put like a, a, a resistor in there. My guess is the, uh, I, I just don't see where it would work. Um it's a really interesting thing. Fender's the only thing I've seen close where they use on the Tim Shaw Humbucker Strats HSS. They have it dual stack potentiometers where the humbucker runs through a 500K and the single coils run for a, from a 250K, but you're going to be coil splitting. So that's the problem you're going to have. Um, so the only thing I can think of, oh no, there's your answer. So you'd have to find that dual stack pot. So it's a 500 250K potentiometer. So separate. And what would happen is you would have to run the pickups to the to the switch, which is going to split them, so that the single coil switch routes it. When it goes to single coil, the signal gets routed to the 250K uh, potentiometer. And then when you flip it back, it would get routed to the... Yeah, so there's a way to do it because that would all work out. So that's what you need to do. You need to find a dual stacked... 500k and 250k and the reason why that's important is because it doesn't matter where you turn the knob they'll they'll both be you know they'll be the same right you're not running two separate uh different points like a push pull pot it's not a push pull stack it's just a stacked you're just literally putting a 250k and a 500k potentiometer on each other and then routing through them so um yeah you know what i might actually mess with that now that might be fun i never never thought about it it's really cool really good idea that's really cool. And uh, so, so again, so for the record, I think that's the best way to do it. Uh, find 250K and 500K stack pot. And when you coil split to, uh, so when you pull that switch, switch and you switch it, you need the signal then to go to the 250K. There's got to be a way to wire it up. I'm sure of it. So I appreciate it, Matthew. Cool question. Um, let's see. Uh, this is from William. William says, quick question. You mentioned in the past that Godin Guitars is very underrated, and it got me looking at them. Oh, cool. Uh, do you have a specific models that you have tried and recommended? I, I like the look of the Godin Passion with the P90s and the bridge and the Passion Session, uh, but there's not an uh, incredible amount uh, out there about them. Uh, information about them. Yeah, yeah. I understand that. I've also heard mixed reviews on the HDR uh, switch that activates the active electronics. So there you go. Um, yeah, uh, the there's a couple of the Godens I've I've played over the years. You know, Godin is like I said, it's a company. I look at them, I've played them, and every time I go, I don't know why they don't own them. I don't know why the necks feel great. I don't know. Sometimes I think about. In fact, right now I'm back to thinking about it again, going, yeah, why don't I just 
get a Godin. You know, one of the reasons is some of the Godins I like are expensive. There's some of the Godins that are like twelve hundred dollars and fifteen hundred dollars, but some of the Godins that are 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 great um, are still in the six hundred dollar range. Definitely used. You can find smoking deals on Godins built really well. Um, so the, to answer your question, I haven't had a whole lot of experience with those particular models. Not familiar with the active electronics you're talking about. Um, I don't know if that's a piezo or piezo setup where they have active electronics or if there's some kind of active boost in them. I don't know because um, I just know that I've worked on a ton of Godins. I've played Godins and uh, and they've always been great. You know, um, and uh, through a mishap, you know, we started carrying Godins years and years ago, and there was a local store in town that was a big Godin dealer, and that's why we didn't carry Godins. I had all the respect, but they just had it. They were smart. They had a dealer who was pushing it, and I brought them in, and then that dealer stopped carrying them, and I didn't know that, so I didn't seize the opportunity. So, and then the, what happened was, uh, this is a little interesting thing about the old days of retail. When a store supplies a lot of product through the through an area and then stops carrying it, over time, like a year goes by, then there's no real that are that that customer base which was used to that demand. In other words, they there you had a base of customers that were fans now of that product line. They slowly um, attrition out over time. So that's what kind of happened. So the store cop stopped carrying it. I wasn't aware of that they stopped carrying, which would have been my opportunity to carry it. And then by the time I figured out it had been dormant for so long in the area that I, you know, even having a couple, you just didn't have people excited about it. But I don't know why they can't get more excitement. They're they're definitely one of the best products out there. They're definitely one of the top, you know, 10 guitar quality guitars out there. So for sure. Um, And oh, and so, you know, I'm a big fan of the Golden A6. That helps. You're asking what models I like. That's my favorite model. So I bought one from Sweetwater, but the model, I bought one of their B-Stock guitars, you know, one of those return guitars, and it said it was great. When I got it, it had a couple issues that I wasn't happy about, so I sent it back, and then I was kind of not in the mood to, to buy one. <laughs> so, but I'll eventually get another one. A Golden A6 will definitely be in my, in my, in my future again, um, because it's a great guitar. It's one of my favorite acoustic slash electric guitars out there. Um, if you like the Taylor T5, uh, that series, I think the Golden A6 is a great contender for a fraction of the price. So, um, okay, next question is, we want to do, yeah, some of these titles are crazy. Maybe we should just read titles. Some of these titles were, all right, here's one. It's uh, Corey. It's got a question about Squires. Hey, my Squire 2 Stratocaster from 1988-89 needs some electronic rehab. Yeah, scratchy noises in the volume pot, switch, output jack, tone pots don't really seem to do much. I'm handy enough with the soldering iron. Uh, somebody always gives me crap about soldering. I think I say, I think soldering. How do you guys say soldering? I say soldering. Soldering iron, soldering, soldering iron. Uh, to replace parts, is there any recommended recommended kit to just replace all that stuff. I had the guitar since 1990. I've never learned to play more than a few chords and uh, no real songs. Oh, that's sad. You know, you gotta play songs. You know, to me, it's like learning to cook, right? You gotta learn how to make a couple meals. Gotta play a couple songs. Uh, I've been watching loads of YouTube guitar stuff over the last year or so, including your channel. I appreciate that again, Corey. And I've been trying to get into the habit of plunking around on the guitar more frequently, but it is, uh, it's got deficiencies. Oh, the deficiencies are frustrating. Yeah, well, I think that's a, that's a separate thing. We'll talk about that too. 
I don't want to spend a bunch of money uh, on an inexpensive guitar, but I would like it to work properly. Um, and I'm considering buying a different guitar, but as you can imagine, the powers <laughs> that be consider buying another guitar. Uh, I can't play less than... Oh, uh, he's basically saying he can't can't invest in more in a guitar and in, in more. Okay, cool. I understand where you're coming from. Um, two things. First, Corey. Um, yes, uh, the, all, I would gut all that all that junk out of there. Just kill it all. That five way switch, the tone pots. It's the easiest thing in the world to if you're if you want a basic how to solder up a guitar. Dude, a, a, a Tele and a Strat are the best. The first thing you do is you Google Seymour Duncan how to or you don't even have to google single dunk anymore just google uh, fender strat wiring schematic or fender tele schematic which in this case you're going to go with strat so you google fender strat wiring schematic bam a color-coded schematic will pop up on google images it is they will be right because they're always right and you'll just it's just easy as you know point and solder <laughs> um you're gonna need three potentiometers i would i would just buy fender ones why not you can buy fender parts pretty cheap uh if you if you have a uh, you know you're new to this so i mean there's no reason to go to guitar fetish or look around or do any crazy stuff just uh, go on amazon type in fender potentiometer uh 250k uh, obviously if it's a fender potentiometer uh for strat or telly that'll be given but fender does make 500ks uh you'll get three of them and you'll get the five-way Fender switch uh, for the American Strat. The switch will cost you ten to twelve dollars. Potentiometers will run high at oh four to seven dollars a piece. So you're looking at, um, you know, what is that? Twenty, thirty, forty dollars maybe. Um, and if that's too expensive for you, then you just Google search again for the cheaper ones. Now, in my personal experience. Don't skim on the five-way switch. Just get the real five-way switch. But you could go to allparts.com. There's a ton of sources for this. You get the switch and you just get it and wire it all up and get yourself an input jack too and just wire it all up. It's super easy. It's all it's all ground and hot. So there's just two wires to everything. Ground everything out where it says to ground it. Hot's where it goes. And um, each uh, all the fender potentiometers will come with a uh, capacitor. And so you won't need but one of them to, to wire up the tone pots. Wire it up like an American Strat because that's even better. Uh, one of the really horrible things about Squires is a lot of times they go with the vintage wiring, which is not to put a the tone knob against the bridge pickup, which is a really horrible idea because the bridge pick is, pickup is really shrill. So, you know, just go ahead and wire it the new way, which is which is the way it will come up in that Google schematic. But definitely, definitely learn to wire it up yourself. It's easy. It's cheap. It's it's great. Just don't burn yourself on the soldering iron. you got nothing to lose. Uh, you'll make it a way better experience. Now, if you're budget crazy, uh, well, then, you know, buy some deoxid and clean everything out. That will probably fix 90% of those scratches and all that stuff, Pot, uh, the pot scratching and all those horrible noises. Uh, so there – and then let, what was the second part of that question? The second part of the question was, uh, he learned to play a couple chords, plunking around. It's frustrating. Yep, frequent. Okay. Yeah, that was the other thing. Okay, so you were saying that it's frustrating when you're trying to play guitar and the guitar is is not playing well. And that, that ties into the second thing. You know, I see that a lot too. A lot of people get burned out because the guitar is frustrating. 
And that's why sometimes I'm like, you know, you have to make good decisions when it comes to this stuff. You know, if you know your guitar is defective, in today's day and age, uh, you, you know, your guitar is worth something. Even if it's scratchy and all this stuff, sell it off, take that money, invest into a better guitar. But I, I hate hearing that people are like, well, I don't want to practice because it's really just, it's horrible to play or it sounds horrible. And, I'm, and, and they're like, I'm going to push through. And they say things like, well, if I learn a couple more songs or if I stick to it, then I'll invest in it. And I'm like, I, I do understand that logic. It's, there's nothing wrong with being practical. But also keep in mind that this is a passion. And passion needs that word, passion. You have to be inspired to want to play. It doesn't mean you have to buy expensive stuff. It just means you have to, you, you have to want to pick it up. Um, you know, I tell people, I go, if your guitar sitting at a guitar stand, you're walking by, at the very least, you should feel guilty walking by like, man, I should be playing that guitar right now. Right. Um, not, oh, I need to fix that guitar. And if I ever do, I'll play. You'll always end up down a bad road for that. So, uh, so I would recommend, uh, Corey, that you, that you, uh, fix it for sure or ditch it. But, uh, it's an easy fix. Just, I would, I would do it. The, the pickups will be fine. All, and all the sounds, uh, will be from that. The other thing to keep in mind too, is sometimes they get a static charge built up on them and that can be fixed easy. Just take some, uh, static guard spray, spray it on a, uh, polished cloth or a polished cloth for a guitar or any kind of cloth, just spray it on there to, you know, just not when it's damp, but just spray it and then let it dry a little bit. And then just wipe down the pick guard and area, uh, and the pickups. And if there's a static charge, it'll discharge that. Um, that's a huge thing. I've done some videos about that. It's, uh, it's, that's a real common problem. In fact, it's probably one of the biggest things that I get when people tell me like, ah, you know, and I go, you know what? I have de-staticked a thousand guitars. And the only thing that's interesting about that is, uh, a lot of those guitars was after somebody had took it to one or two repair shops to get electronical electrical work done and they said it still wasn't fixed and then I was like that's a static charge and we do static it and I hand it back and they go it works works great I go yeah yeah you gotta you gotta do that and the reason as funny is I've been told I had a loser argue with me saying oh you should never get a static charge and I go you know I only learned that idea being in the factory of Fender Factory and they were having the issue. They were de-static. They had static charges building up on pick guards and stuff. And they had all kinds of spots where they were getting static charges. And I go, oh. And they said, well, this is how we do it. This is how we get rid of it. They were basically doing what I'm telling you. Put some, <laughs> some static guards. They were just discharging it. And I was like, it's ingenious. I never thought about that being static electricity. So that was like a decade ago as I learned that. So there you go. I appreciate it. And uh, other than that, I want to thank everybody. I'll do it again so you guys see it. I want to thank all the sponsors, uh, you know, Bradulist, Bradulist, uh, Michael Shy, John Jax, Justin Maybe, David Madison, and everybody on Patreon uh, for doing this. Uh, if you guys don't know what this is about, uh, it's the simple thing. Um, the, the live shows have been, have been growing and I, I, I think it's great and we want to continue to grow it. And, and the best way to continue to grow it is to do what we can to improve it. And so we looked at getting some sponsors and we looked at companies and all the sponsored call the companies we contacted were definitely interested and it occurred to us, well, why don't we ask viewers to see if they want to sponsor? We have some patron members that are sponsoring these, these, uh, videos. And the reason they're sponsoring these videos is so that you know that uh, the answers I'm giving are honest and I, unbiased, mostly because you know I'm not worried about butt hurting any companies. Um, I don't have any companies affiliated with the channel to upset, so we don't have to worry about that. So I, I really appreciate that. It's fairly liberating, so you know. It's very nice to know that I can say whatever, uh, answer any question and not feel like, well, um, you really should buy from so-and-so because they're a good company. So it's really nice. I really, I really kind of like the freedom. And uh, as always, I want to thank everybody for their time and tell you to know your gear, and I'll see you next week.
and uh, say goodbye.